0: Hi, welcome to Forever Paranormal with Dr. Bill and Deb. The term paranormal refers to phenomena and experiences that are beyond the scope of normal scientific understanding and cannot be easily explained through traditional scientific principles. These phenomena often challenge conventional beliefs and are associated with the supernatural, metaphysical, or unexplained aspects of reality. As with any field of inquiry, it is essential to approach the paranormal with an open but critical mind, relying on empirical evidence and logical reasoning to draw conclusions. It's a topic that continues to intrigue and challenge both believers and skeptics alike. And if we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. You'll be surprised by what all can be connected to the paranormal please don't forget to follow rate and share the show since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone. Even if you think you are the suicide and crisis lifeline is nine, eight, eight, please just reach out. Well, Hello there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode, where we are going to discuss my favorite cryptid. Yes, we're going to talk about Bigfoot, who was allegedly captured by the police in Virginia in December of 2023. Hi, Deb. Hi. How are you this week?
1: I'm well. How about you?
0: Oh, I'm doing fine. So, you got anything new going on this week?
1: Why, yes, I do. I happened to find an article with the headline, E.T. Welcome. So, <laughs> n- naturally, I had to give it a look. What I found is the world's first interstellar tourism campaign. Huh? Yes, that's right. A city in Kentucky has used a laser to beam a message into space to invite extraterrestrial visitors. If this piques anyone's interest, Google the Lexington Convention and Visitors Bureau and visit the tourism site, and that's in Kentucky.
0: Okay.
1: They partnered with scientists and experts to beam this message towards potentially habitable planets in the TRAPPIST-1 solar system, according to the article in AP News. Now, this is 40 light years away, so we will have to wait to see if anything comes of this. The tourism site naturally promotes the city and has fun statements from various experts that I assume worked on this project. They even have a countdown clock and a place where you can send your own message that will be gifted to any aliens that happen to arrive. Now, although I have no interest in rolling hills and anything in Kentucky, I did find that this site was quite interesting.
0: That is very interesting. And I'm curious as to the countdown clock. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do they have a certain amount of time they think it's going to take for uh, Alien to visit?
1: They believe 40 light years away till they get the message. And then I believe it's 40 light years back for them to message back or come here or so not not in
0: our lifetime
1: no okay cool
0: (laughs) that's a pretty cool story thanks for getting that yeah so this week we're going to focus our attention on virginia ohio and west virginia to make people aware that bigfoot isn't just in the pacific northwest or alaska and just for the record Before we start down this rather large rabbit hole, I want to say that I prefer the name Natinak, or Sasquatch, over Bigfoot, as they come from the indigenous people who have passed down legends and tales long before the first so-called settlers ever stepped foot on this continent. And they do go by many different names, at least a hundred that I'm aware of, that have been been given by locals before Bigfoot or Sasquatch became the go-to everyday name. Names like Skunk Ape in Florida, Grassman in Ohio, Wood Ape, Booger, Woodburger in Virginia, the Falk Monster in Arkansas, Harry People, the Honey Island Monster or Honey Island Swamp Monster in Louisiana, and Momo for short for Missouri Monster, and many, many more. So, like we said in the beginning, the police allegedly captured Bigfoot in Virginia. All three of the local networks near Wintergreen, Virginia, reported on an outbreak of Bigfoot sightings the week before Christmas. Wintergreen Police Chief Dennis Russell said they were getting calls from citizens about seeing Bigfoot in mountainous areas, open fields, and even on ring doorbell cameras. Well, the police, they were doing their job and they did capture the big guy. And after much ado about nothing, it turned out that this particular Bigfoot was nothing more than a local man in a costume having a little fun. Here is the official release from Wintergreen PD on their Facebook page. Is Bigfoot real or not? We may never know. We do know that the Bigfoot sightings on the mountain were staged. The individual behind it was just trying to have a little fun and create a little lighthearted conversation. Does this mean that the world's greatest hide-and-seek player does not exist? Oh, hell no, since this is just one of who knows how many sightings and experiences that have been had by experiencers and witnesses. I mean, let's just take the BFRO, Bigfoot Research Organization, that was created in 1990 by Matt Moneymaker. They alone have received over 75,000 reports since their conception. Now, I'm the first one to tell you that they only consider about 10% of those sightings as credible, as they don't count sightings from amateur from amateur Bigfoot hunters, children, secondhand accounts, or any sighting that had some type of woo associated in in any way, like orbs or whatever, any kind of funky stuff, cloaking, which we're not going to get into that today. But all right, so BFRO doesn't count any of that.
1: We're not here to promote or bash the BFRO or discuss how they choose to keep their records. The numbers they have are still staggering and show what a phenomenon this cryptid called Bigfoot really is. I mean, just in the U.S. alone, there is a sighting of the big guy in every state but Hawaii. Yes, you hear right. Every state.
0: In my research, it appears that the top ten states In order from 1 to 10 are Washington, California, Florida with the skunk ape, Ohio with the grass man, Illinois, Oregon, Texas, Michigan, Missouri with Momo, and coming in at number 10 is Georgia. Those kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, I'll be, you know, I have to admit, Ohio and Illinois are way up there. I I thought that more out west would be up there. Those, Those did surprise me. There are countless numbers of websites, YouTube channels, podcasts, and TV shows about them. They are even a spokesperson for stores and food. And I got a pretty cool Bigfoot Jacklings thing from our son for Christmas. I like that. So let's jump down into the rabbit hole a little bit. They are either flesh and blood, a human offshoot, an unknown species, an unknown ape, or a mythical parallel universe jumping being, or they could be aliens, or even all the above. I'm sure I don't know, and there are no so-called experts out there, even if they say they are. Heck, even I have a degree in cryptozoology, but that darn sure does not make me an expert. Okay, So as of now, we don't know what they are, but stories about Bigfoot have been around since mankind could talk. Every Native American tribe has their legend passed down from generation to generation. So, when did this phenomenon get a foothold in popular culture? It seems that a British explorer by the name of David Thompson is credited with finding and documenting the first set of footprints back in 1811.
1: But it wasn't until 1958 when news media picked up a story about Ray Wallace. He was a rogue contractor working in Northern California who made plaster casts of giant footprints that he found near his work site. After taking these to the local paper, the reporter termed the phrase Bigfoot, and it stuck as other media outlets across the country picked up the story.
0: But probably the most celebrated Bigfoot sighting of modern times was in October 1967. That's when Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin ventured into the woods in search of Bigfoot, near where Wallace found his Bigfoot tracks, in Bluff Creek. They sighted a creature strolling through a clearing, and they managed to film a short sequence a reported distance of about 80 feet. I think everyone who has ever watched TV has seen this clip at one time or another. After all, it is the holy grail of Bigfoot being filmed. But here again is what I want to point out. Neither of these two items have been debunked, Wallace's footprints or the PG film. Yeah, Wallace's family stated after he died They found a wooden set of footprints that he used. But you know what? They never produced them to anyone for verification of a hoax. It's just their word that he faked them. No proof whatsoever. What about the PG film? That thing has been reviewed by so many people, it's just crazy. But to this day, the film has not been debunked. Everyone including the U.S. government, has tried to debunk it and couldn't. Yes, some guy claimed it was him being paid to wear a suit for the film a long time ago, but again, he was never able to provide the suit as evidence or any other evidence that he did that. None whatsoever. So what do we have to prove the existence of this big hairy creature? Well, we have tons and tons of empirical evidence and hundreds of thousands of eyewitness accounts. Just plaster casts of the footprints themselves are continually being studied by Dr. Jeff Meldrum, who is a professor of anthropology at Idaho State University. He is a researcher taking a serious scientific approach to Bigfoot. Now let me point out that Dr. Meldrum does not say they do exist. He says that evidence that exists fully justifies the investigation of the pursuit of this question. Here is a very interesting Times News article from southwestern Virginia, which was published in 2013 after the BFRO filmed an episode of Finding Bigfoot there. I figured we started with this tale in Virginia, so our first story should be from there as well. William Droginis heads the Virginia Bigfoot Research Organization based in Aldi, Virginia. He takes reports of sightings, does interviews, and even goes on site looking for the elusive hairy man. works full-time for defense contractor Northrop Grumman and had little or no interest in Bigfoot until 1995. In March of that year, Joginus and two friends were trying out a new metal detector in Culpeper County, Virginia. The three were looking for treasure in and around old gold mine shafts in that area. The mines were actually active during the Civil War, so they thought they had a good chance of finding something. After a long morning of searching with no luck, they were returning to their vehicle on a country back road. The two guys with me were FBI agents. One of them did three tours in Vietnam. Suddenly, he threw up his arm and stated that there was a man behind a tree up ahead, said Draginis. Both agents drew their guns and pushed Draginis to the rear. I was looking in the area where a man's head would be, and then about three feet above that, a black, hairy face came out from behind a tree, Draginis added. The creature then moved across the road from left to right and made its way into the forest. It moved with a fluid motion. It was covered in black hair. The shoulders were huge and you can see an area of gray on the upper back. That event led him down a new path and into his current role as Virginia Bigfoot Research Organization Director. A search of his website found several reports of sightings in and around southwest Virginia. Currently, Drew is working on an active case in Washington County near Saltville. A couple from North Carolina bought remote property in the area and were using it for camping.
1: The area is remote and can only be accessed by ATV. Their first night camping, they began to hear screams close by and got scared. They jumped on their ATV and left everything at the campsite, said Dranginus. As they drove off, the cu- the husband turned around and saw something dark and close to eight feet tall running behind them. The couple waited over a week before returning for their equipment. They gave the VBRO permission to investigate the site. We got some interesting audio the first night. Something screamed at us with an intensity that vibrated the tent. I took out my thermal image camera, but did not see anything, Dranginus added. He positioned cameras that take pictures every five seconds from sunup until sundown and can be active for six to eight weeks. He plans on returning in the next couple of months to retrieve the data. While he gets three to four reports of Bigfoot a month, they are mostly concerning sounds rather than an actual sighting. I have had reports from law enforcement, doctors, and lawyers that claim to have seen Bigfoot a lot along the I-81 corridor. I can tell in an investigation if they have really seen anything because once you see it, it flips your life upside down during Guinness Act.
0: The article does go on to talk about various things, but that's the end of the sighting reports. However, I was unable to find any kind of follow-up as to what he discovered after retrieving those cameras he had out there. That would be kind of interesting to know if he found anything at all. Okay, so these reports come from Squatchable.com. In the world of Bigfoot sightings, the state of Ohio has had its fair share of intriguing encounters. One such incident, known as the Logan and Union Counties, Ohio Bigfoot Flap of 1980, is particularly fascinating. This wave of sightings occurred in June of 1980 and involved several individuals who claimed to have seen a large, hair-covered creature in the area. Patrick Poling, a farmer from Union County, had the first reported sighting on June 17th while cultivating his corn. He noticed the humanoid creature emerge from the woods and walk along the edge of the trees. Poling described the being as being about seven feet tall, covered in black hair, and having a unique way of walking with its knees slightly bent and hands held out, palms up. The next day, his neighbor, Donald Matthews, discovered large footprints near Poling's property, and made a plaster cast of one, which measured 18 inches long and 7 inches wide. Two days later, on June 19th, 17-year-old Thomas Quay reported his sighting. He saw the creature at the edge of the woods, about 120 yards away, and described it as being 9 to 10 feet tall, black and hairy, with little to no neck. Quay's father, Ray Quay, also had a sighting that same night while unloading pigs in his barn. He described the creature as being big and hairy with an overpowering odor similar to Limburger cheese on a hot muffler. How in the world does somebody know what Limburger cheese on a hot muffler smells like? (laughs) Anyhow, okay, moving on.
1: Donna Riegler, a legal secretary, had her encounter on Tuesday, June 24th. While driving home, she saw a figure on the road and initially thought it was a big dog or a man. As she got closer, she realized that it was a large, hair-covered creature standing upright with its knees bent and hands held out, palms up. Riegler was so frightened that she quickly reversed her car and drove away. The final reported encounter came on Thursday, June 26th, by Larry Ramey. While working on a tractor in Logan County, Ramey saw the creature emerge from the woods and approach his tractor. He described it as being more than seven feet tall, with long hair, broad shoulders, and a well-proportioned body.
0: These sightings sparked a wave of interest in the area, with hundreds of people driving around the country roads, looking for the creature. Of course, law enforcement became concerned about the dangerous situation this created as some of the searchers were armed. But despite this, a group of experienced researchers including Barbara Belovanovich, Leon and Betty Parks, Tom Archer, John and Bruce Rakowski, and the Mammal Research Team from Lima, Ohio, arrived in the area to investigate. The Lima research team reportedly found and took measurements and a cast of three claw marks, which were about 40 inches apart and had four toes. This siding flap was just one part of the larger Bigfoot sighting increases in the late 1970s and early 1980s, with some researchers believing that the increased activity was actually the result of an eastward movement of Bigfoot from the west coast due to the eruption of Mount St. Helens. To sum it up, the Logan and Union Counties Bigfoot Flap of 1980 is a fascinating and intriguing chapter in the world of Bigfoot sightings. The detailed descriptions provided by the witnesses offer a unique insight into the possible characteristics of the elusive creature. Whether you're a seasoned Bigfoot researcher or simply a curious observer, These stories are sure to leave you captivated and intrigued. And if you go find the reports, the reports are way more descriptive about what they saw than what we've covered in this podcast. They were very, very pointed on what they saw and what was reported.
1: This is from the West Virginia Explorer. A husband and wife living in a remote corner of Fayette County in southern West Virginia Claim to have encountered and photographed a Bigfoot only a stone's throw away from America's newest national park, the New River Gorge National Park and Preserve. Billy Humphrey of Danny's says that before the incident, he had ridiculed such claims, but has spent the last half year turning the encounter over in his mind. I didn't believe in Bigfoot, Humphrey says. I 100% didn't believe in it, and I said that people who claimed they saw it were crazy. According to Humphrey, a hunter, coal miner, and former U.S. Marine, the encounters first occurred in late October 2019 in the woods near his home where he'd set up a hunting blind. On a series of consecutive nights, food that he'd put out to attract game had been disappearing more quickly than was usual. "'Everything was gone within hours, all of it,' he said. "'So he spent part of the next two nights in a deer blind, "'hoping to catch the culprits and perhaps some game. "'He set up a cam and hung a light pointed downward "'from about nine feet off the ground "'to help spot whatever had been taking the food. "'Then he waited.' I knew I had some raccoons, and we've got deer and bear, but whatever it was, it was eating everything, and I was determined to find out what was going on. Far from city lights, night in the woods in West Virginia can grow scary, unsettling at least, but even then, something wasn't right, he said. He texted his wife, Sheena, something is eerie up here, there ain't nothing moving. Then, whatever had been taking the food stalked up it through the wooded darkness from the left until it stood, just outside the blind. Then it moved behind the blind. Humphrey waited, breathless. "'There's something heavy moving behind the blind,' I texted her. It stood there for, oh, about a minute. Then it came around to the right side, then moved in front, passing in front of the light.' I thought it was a bear because it was tall enough that it cast a shadow when it passed in front of the light, but the light was nine feet up, so whatever it was, it was big. Only able to see its silhouette in the darkness, Humphrey didn't seriously question that it was anything other than a large bear, though it was remarkably large and the forest had grown remarkably quiet. The same encounter occurred the next night. After which, the food that he had stored in the blind had been exhausted, so he returned for a third evening at about 4 p.m., this time with Sheena, who had gotten off work early. I said, let's just wait here till dark and see what happens. Well, we'd only been sitting there for about 15 minutes when it came back. We looked out, and Sheena says calmly, there he is. I said, there who is? Bigfoot, she said. Billy Humphrey says he was able to snap a quick photo with his phone, but did not have a better camera handy. Then he just turned and walked off. We heard him go through the laurel thicket, and then he made this sound like, have you ever heard a bear's death moan? He went like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was good, huh? All right.
1: As brave and wood-hardy as Humphrey may be, he says he declined not to return to the blind for another month, and when he did, he found it shredded, but not like a bear would tear it apart looking for food.
0: After that, other signs of Bigfoot began to reveal themselves. Fowl had been disappearing from the family's farm, chickens as well as turkeys. Sheena Humphrey pointed out, I had a 104 chickens and then realized we had 60, she said, but there was no sign of them being killed, no blood or feathers. Sheena had encountered Bigfoot on two earlier occasions and had once heard her grandmother telling such tales. So she was much less shocked than her husband was when they had their autumn encounter. The first time I saw one, I was about 16 or 17 and riding in a car with my mother past Babcock State Park, and I looked to my left, and he was just standing there in the woods, plain as day, she said. I was so persistent about going back that she did turn around, but by then it was gone. But I got a good look because we were only going 35 through a curve, and it was spring. There weren't many leaves on the trees." The next time I saw one, I was driving down Leyland Mountain near Boyer Mine Supply, right before you get to the bridge that was washed out a few years back. I might have been 29 or 30. It was standing there, and I thought it was a bear at first. But there were two motorcycles in front of me, and I guess they scared it because as soon as the first motorcycle passed, it stood up and cleared the creek and ran up the side of the mountain. She says she assumes there could be several Bigfoots in the area at times as their fur had been different colors. The first was darker like a reddish-brown, and then this one was a little darker than a deer in winter, maybe. Until recently, the couple spoke to no one about the encounter. Then, Billy heard of a friend who had claimed that a wild man of some sort had been found living in a cave near Chestnut Knob several miles to the west, and a farmer on Bacchus Mountain, several miles to the south, had said that something had been spooking their cattle. Billy Humphrey says he'll never forget the look of the creature. It was massive, and about eight and a half feet, I guess. Sheena went and stood where he'd been standing, and she's about 5'7". In the picture, he's actually standing so his lower half is over the hillside. This thing was huge. It had a cone head and it was tan under the eyes and had a barrel chest. The original photo of Bigfoot you see in a Patterson-Gimlin film. That's what it looked like. It didn't look like something of other photos you see, Humphrey said. Humphrey says he's now a believer and will invite anyone who would like to come to see the clearing near his home and inspect the area. I hate it because I've made fun of people like that. Who had claimed to see these things? Well, that's pretty interesting. That goes from a skeptic to a believer, doesn't it, then? mm mm-hmm. So does all this mean that Bigfoot exists? No, but there is nothing to prove that they don't exist either. Like I said, all the empirical evidence, which there is a ton of, and eyewitness accounts, all of them can't be lying. And they definitely point to something. I'm just not sure what. All I can state is a fact is the search will continue and go on until it's proven one way or the other. But, what if Sasquatch really is out there? There would definitely be more than one. And in order to maintain a healthy breeding population, a species of hominid as Sasquatch is assumed to be, would need extremely vast expanses of uninterrupted forest. Remote wilderness areas would be prime habitat for Sasquatch. So, if there are any out there to protect, making sure forests get protection so they can stay unharmed, it's the utmost importance. We happen to live in an area where they have cut down almost every tree that we can imagine. So, folks, it's important that we save huge, vast expanses of forest. What do you think, Deb?
1: Without actually capturing one to be able to research what it could actually be, we can never know. Maybe one day, right?
0: Yeah, maybe one day we will. And I know when I got my cryptozoology degree, you were forced <laughs> kind of to partake in some Bigfoot research. Mm-hmm. And I know you definitely enjoyed the time out in the woods and things like that. But, you know, it, and hopefully we don't have to capture one. I believe that if they do exist, our government already has an example of them. I'm not a part of the you got to kill one to figure them out school. I'm not part of that.
1: Oh, I didn't mean kill, just capture. Yeah,
0: but if we capture one, you know, it's not going to be good for them. That's true. Yeah. What about you folks? Let us know. And until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com, and if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Forward slash forever paranormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode.